0: Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 26. Again, that's Luke chapter 5, verses 4 through 26. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. Hear now the Word of the Lord. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priests and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. One day, Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd. Jesus, right in front of Jesus when Jesus saw their face he said friend your sins are forgiven the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy who can forgive sins but God alone Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked why are you thinking these things in your hearts which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk but I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins so he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in the front of them, took what he, what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. This is the word of the Lord.
1: So last week we started uh, the Gospel of Luke, and we're continuing on now in chapter 5, talking about what Jesus is doing, and especially focusing on now his authority. When he commands us to do something, we should do it, shouldn't we? Sometimes it's tough, though, sometimes it's difficult. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't. Um, we, even we as a church, we are on this path, and um, I've been kind of convicted because usually I just want to really just focus and hone in on what the Bible says and, you know, do my job as an exegete, I suppose, but been convicted to maybe share more about what our church is going through and why we are doing the things we're doing, why we have the ministries we have and especially what's going on more recently. And if you maybe heard some leaders pray, the leaders to pray uh, something like this, Lord, be with us during this time of transition. And we've been praying that for the last perhaps nine months, but I think it goes even back further to four years. So for the last four years, we have been trying to go independent. And being independent People are wondering what that really means, and I know a lot of you have been so gracious in your support for me, the leadership for this church and I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart last time we had a congregational meeting, we always hit record numbers of people coming out to find out what's going on and to participate and it's such a it's very exciting to see and such an encouragement, but we want to be independent so, that so, independence isn't the goal, it's not the final destination. But, independence is part of the path that we believe God has set us on, and more importantly, we are the independence that we're, we're looking for is, I guess, the very next step for us to do that. And a lot of people have questions like. Does that mean we're breaking off from the KM? And the answer, of course, is yes and no. We're breaking off because we're no longer under, I guess, their session or their ruling power, but we are still their children. A lot of us literally have parents here serving, but in even a spiritual sense, we are their daughter. And what we want to do is become independent by asking this KM to plant us as a daughter church. So we still want to keep in relationship, good relationship, with um, Pilgrim Church and work with them. And I kind of see it very, I mean, all these things, there's details that need to be worked out, but I kind of see it like this. You're a child growing up in your parents' house. And if you're a child growing up in your parents' house, you live by their rules. You do the things they tell you. You actually get paid, you get fed, you're sheltered, you get clothed, right? And they do all these things for you. But there comes a time when you need to be an adult. There comes a time when you start to realize, I need to make money. I need to get a job. I need to be independent. And I need to, in many ways, now start supporting my parents, Biblically speaking, what we do is we honor our parents. And the vision that I have is that we as a daughter church literally see that connection. We give honor to our parents. And then when we see parents and children, these two generations come together, working together, blessing each other, then I see true harmony, I see a blessing, I see fruitfulness And some people have not been able to do that. And you see that churches, even our neighboring churches, people have separated not so well. But there are consequences to that. And if I continue to use that analogy, a child can leave on bad terms with their parents because they need to be independent. And that's the way it is. And that does happen in real life. But don't you see, when a child leaves on bad terms with their parents that they're missing out, both the parent and the child, that something becomes amiss in their life. Their, their life cannot be that holistic life that they desire. So God put parents in our lives for a reason. In the beginning, they supported us, but as they get older and as we get older, you see the tables kind of turn, and we need to learn how to support them, to bless them. And that's what it means to be an adult. And so we as a church, we want to start acting like spiritual adults. So it's very basic, you guys. And older people will get this, but it's very basic. And this is just a natural process. So it's not like we had a fight or anything. I, I, some, some people have some crazy rumors flying like, we don't like them, and, or they don't like us, we're getting kicked out. Absolutely not. That, that, that couldn't be further from the truth. In fact... We wouldn't even be able to talk about independency if it wasn't for the full support and prayers from our parent church or our parent church to be. And so they have been supporting us, the elders, the session, the pastors. They have been supporting us saying, you know, maybe it's time for you to go. And that's where that seed was planted four years ago. That's why we got deacons and things like that. So that's that. If you have more questions, all the deacons know what's going on. I know what's going on. Pastor Esther knows what's going on, so please ask us, and we'd be happy to share even more detail. I just don't want to take too much time out of the sermon, but it is about obeying Christ in our lives, following the conviction God gave us. So it does mean that, you know, have you ever left and graduated college, and you realize you need to get a job, and you find your own place? You do need to strap you know tighten your belt a little bit you do need to be more responsible you need to see oh my goodness there are these things that i never thought of in the back of my head but now i have to actually do it i actually have to do the dishes take out the garbage and wow i must act like an adult but in the spiritual sense the same thing even paul admonishes people is like how long are you going to be drinking milk you know, it's time to grow up. So for us, spiritually too, it's time for us to be in a place where we need to be spiritual adults. And so to do that, these are the natural steps that we are taking. But it just doesn't happen, even though it happens, but it just doesn't happen as smoothly as you want. That's why we're saying let's pray together. Let's offer this up in prayer, petition, through fasting. It's asking God to really give us wisdom, so that we can be a blessing to Pilgrim Church and that we can support them in whatever way we can. And I believe that God will um, extend our borders, our boundaries, our influence, so that we can even bless not just Pilgrim Church, but hopefully our communities and the world. Um, You know, isn't that exciting? If you're going to have an ambition for something, isn't that the ambition we should have? We're going to talk about that a little bit too, but... I just came back from a young adult retreat, and if you went, I think about 20 of us went or something like that, and it was good. Um, we played laser tag in the middle of the day for activities, and I had a great time. It reminded me of my time uh, when I used to play Counter-Strike a lot and go paintball, and I used to love these like shooter things, and I'd be the guy that would run in and die, and then figure out where everybody is, else is, and then run it again and know, know where everybody else And then I, we had a lot of fun, but our topic was prayer, and I really wanted our young adults to go into a deep knowledge and experience of what prayer is. And we talked about that, and that was a great thing. And we have another retreat coming up, the women's retreat, and if you are even mildly interested, then I can't recommend it more, even more, Uh, There are already a lot of people signed up. I think there are like almost 30, maybe even more, signed up for this retreat, but it's going to be great. It's not just a time of just getting to know each other, which it is, but to really learn how to support and encourage each other as women, as sisters in the church. And I think it's going to be awesome. And the men, we should be praying for them. So it's not just a woman, do your thing. We as a church, we should be united in solidarity. We do these things. And we have so much going on in other, other things too. Like today, we have Bergen Regional, which is we go to the elderly homes, this home, um, this nursing home, and then we sing a song. We talk to them. It's so simple. And yet, um, that little effort that we put out, they appreciate so much. And so we do that. And if you're interested, once again, talk to Hannah Beckham. She's right there in the middle. And uh, please participate. Just go once. And if you feel like, I don't know, I'm, I'm scared. You know, you can even say, like, old people scare me. I don't know. I, I don't know what you're thinking, why you won't go. But if, if that's the case, just be honest. Be like, you know what? I heard Pastor Eugene say this, and I just want to check it out. Can I just stand in the back and just see what you guys do? And yeah feel free to do that, too. I'm sure Hannah won't say anything. Maybe she'll encourage you next, next month to do something a little more. And we have basketball. Today's the playoffs. It's exciting. I might not be able to make it because I have meetings, but um, people are excited. People get hyped and emotional. Bad calls are made all the time by the referees because they're not professionals. i got to say it again. They are not professional referees, so they will make bad calls, you guys. Don't get mad. Just be like, oh, I understand. You're blind, bro. No, don't, don't, <laughs> this, don't say things like that. But just, you know, just understand this is an amateur game. This is an church We're supposed to have fun, bless each other, get to know each other. I got to know a lot of people through basketball. If you want to come support, that's great. We only have two weeks left. And... Um, It's been so much fun. I could give more details. But I do want to go on. And today, in this passage, it's a rather long passage, but we want to talk about Jesus' authority. And the three points, the three stories, we see Jesus has authority over your work. Jesus has authority over society. And Jesus has authority over your spirit. So... His authority is over your work, and I'm going to put a little parenthesis here. What does that mean? It means personal success, okay? Jesus has authority over your work, personal success, your society. And my parenthesis here is, is especially those on the margins, like we talked about last week. Especially those that feel like they are not worth anything in current society. Current society says, you are not worth anything. We don't even give you time of day. You don't have anything to offer us. But Jesus has authority over society. And finally, Jesus has authority over your spirit. So we open up in this passage where Jesus is speaking, and then he turns to Peter and says, why don't you let down your net? So these nets in that time were very special nets. They're ancient nets used to catch fish. And if you're interested in anything about history, these are all fascinating to me. So I hope it is to you. But these are trammel nets. And you can look at up. trammel nets. And in these trammel nets, you have three nets. And these are um, anchored on the bottom by weights. And they have flotation devices on the top. So that they're kind of like vertical nets like this. So there's three layers like this. And the outside layers, are; these nets have huge holes. So they're literally like lines that go like this, like that big. And this middle layer is a fine mesh. It's very thin. I mean, and it's, it's, uh, it's tiny holes like this, right? So the middle net, the middle net is, is a mesh, and the outside is, has huge holes. And then what happens is you put this net in the middle of the lake or wherever you're fishing, You take two boats, and you see here in the beginning of chapter 5, there are two boats. Jesus takes one boat out of the two. So this picture is being drawn, and it's amazing. If you know what's actually happening here, this is absolutely astonishing. It's that Jesus takes one boat out, but the reason why they have two boats to use a trammel net is these two boats would go out, and they would stand on opposite sides of the net, and they would create turbulence. And when they created turbulence, the fish would start swimming. And when they would would swim through the nets, they could easily pass through the nets that have the big holes, right? But once they hit the mesh, now they're stuck, so they keep on swimming. But what do they hit? They hit the outer, larger net. And as they hit the outer, larger net, it becomes a bag, and it captures the fish, and the fish have nowhere to go. Do you see how the trammel nets work now? So you need two boats to shake and create turbulence because the lake is a lake, right? It's a lake. It's quiet. The fish just swim wherever. You can't just happen to hope that you get fish. They made man-made turbulence. These fish would go in through the nets. They get caught. And then you literally have like mesh bags of fish. And then you would pull in the nets. And the reason why they had to clean the nets is because of all the just, you know, the current you would have. Seaweed, you would have all this debris in these nets. So now you have this picture The fishermen are cleaning the nets because they have to. And then, with whatever they have, Jesus wants to teach and he gets on the boat so that he can preach and teach. That's his main role here, right? He wants to preach and teach and he takes one of the boats and he goes out. And after he's done teaching, so you can imagine, after all this is done, Jesus goes to Peter and says, Peter, I need you, I want you to let down your net. And when Peter hears this, he is a professional fisherman. He says this. He puts a disclaimer. He says, Master, which is like Lord, kurios, right? Master, I've been fishing all night. I got nothing. Which means this. I am a professional. I know how to fish. I know how to catch these fish. I have the technique. I've been doing it all my life. And I caught nothing. Nothing. All throughout the night. This is my livelihood. This is how I eat. This is how I clothe my family. This is how I have a roof over my head. I got nothing. I know what's going on, but he says this. He says, but since you asked. So something changed in Peter, first of all. He heard Jesus' teaching, and he said, okay. You know, I'm a pro, but I heard your teaching, so since you asked, I'm going to do this. And when he does it, it says... They got the biggest catch they ever got. Now this is in every me, every ways, in every mean, it is a miracle, because there is no way, no way that they could have caught any fish, let alone the biggest catch they ever had. It's the wrong time to fish, first of all. It's time to clean your net. It's, it's a terrible day. It, they've been having a terrible day. And Jesus says, why don't you do it at the worst time, the worst place, the worst moment. And they go, fine, I'll obey you. I'll put down the net. And they catch the biggest catch. And so big, in fact, that we've read that they had to call in the second boat. So we know the second boat wasn't, didn't come. There was no turbulence. They didn't do their thing to catch the fish. They had to call in the second boat, come here, help us with this, because these nets are breaking. It's crazy. As a... As, uh, as sturdy as these nets are, they were breaking. You know, if something like that happened to us, how would you react? How would you react? If something like that happened to you in your workplace, Jesus comes and says, Why don't you do this? And I'm like, no, this is not how we do it, Jesus. This is this is just not the way. We have to, we have to do it this way. He goes, No, why don't you do it? And you listen and you follow, and then you have in many, many ways, the biggest catch that you've ever had. I'd probably be like, whoa, Jesus, you're the bomb. Let's go to Las Vegas. No, I mean, I would be like, I would think these things, but this is what Peter said. Peter says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. Now, this is very important to know because not only does Peter say it, but when we have a true experience with the living God, Our initial, our immediate reaction is exactly what Peter did. In fact, when Isaiah saw God, he said, woe is me. When God finally showed up to Job, Job says, I repent in dust and ashes. I have nothing to say. This is the reaction that we have when we see someone so much more greater than us. So if I feel like I pride myself in fishing, but it could be something else for us. It could be, I pride myself on my intelligence. I pride myself on my success, in my business intuition and skills, in my social networking ability. I pride myself in that. And someone comes along so much greater than you, what would you say? You'd be like, whoa, you're way better than me. But What if, what if someone not just way more intelligent, what if this person was infinitely more intelligent that made us feel infinitely stupid We couldn't handle that. And this is what Peter saw. He saw this person is infinitely greater than me and said, whoa, I'm a sinner. You need to go away from me. But Jesus responds in a way that you wouldn't expect. He could say, yeah. I mean, even if we're fine, like not not infinitely, but just finitely smarter than people. You know how we lord it over people? And we're like, yeah, I'm smarter than you. I know more about this subject than you. You should listen to me. Let me teach you, my little Padawan. I mean, we would we would say things like that in response. But Jesus doesn't. Jesus says, don't be afraid. Follow me, and I'm going to make you fishers of men. What does that mean? He's saying, don't be afraid. Follow me. I'm going to make you like me. I'm going to make you become like me. That's an incredible statement. And this is what Jesus invites those, this is how Jesus invites those that he loves and he calls to be his disciples. See, when the gospel truly comes to us, we see how small we really are. You begin to see how small you are, you begin to see how self-centered you are, and your self-image starts to break apart. Everything that you thought was you this is who I am this is who I'm made to be you know I am a person that is six feet tall six one whatever and I am intelligent I carry myself but if I see someone so much greater then everything that I thought this is who I am this is what I prop myself up to be as it starts to crumble that's what the gospel does to us And this is what the gospel did to Peter. We start seeing that we are nothing compared to God. We can't even stand in the presence of God because he is so great and we are so small. But God doesn't just leave it that way. He comes to us and he says, don't be afraid. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. I'll make you become like me. I'm going to raise you up. That's just an incredible statement to me. To me, that just mi- that's just mind-blowing. Because didn't we always grow up with this picture where we're small and God's good, Yeah, I mean, God's great, we have these, this picture, but we always have this picture that this is the way it's going to stay forever, haven't we? We've had this picture like, God is always going to be big, I'm always going to be small, so let's just worship him. And we just do this out of ritual. But Jesus didn't act like that. So that, to me, was the first mind-blowing thing. So when Jesus goes, follow me, they left everything. They left everything. They left the biggest loot they ever had, the biggest catch, the biggest winnings, the biggest paycheck they could have ever had. They left their enormous profit, and they walked away. Why? Because once you meet God, once you meet Jesus, you realize that profit And success is not that crucial. Do you hear what's going on? Do you see what is going on? And then you see that profit and success is not the main thing in my life. Then as Christians, if we see something illegal that we have to do at work, we can walk away from it. If we have to trample on someone, we can walk away from it. We believe and we see that we are not our occupation. We are not the title that we have. And, you know, people call me Pastor Eugene out of reverence, and I really do appreciate that. Uh, And I'm blessed to be your pastor, to be your teacher, to be someone that prays for you. But that's not my only thing. That's not who I am completely. You know, the saddest thing that we can have is this on our tombstone. And this is what Tim Keller says. He says, you could put this on your tombstone. Born a man, died a doctor. That would be the saddest thing, in my opinion. Born a man, died a doctor. Because we think this is the ultimate. But don't you see, you were made for so much more than just your occupation. You were, even If, if you're a doctor, that's a great thing. If you're a pastor, that's a great thing. But that's not the entirety of who God made you to be. If we do think that way, if we think that success and profit is crucial, and that's the main thing that defines us, then the failure will destroy us. But I also want to add, the success will also destroy us. The success or failure will destroy you if work is your everything. But when Jesus comes, he calls you out of that state. And he calls you into a bigger, a grander, a more amazing place of purpose. Let's put that on pause. We're going to go to the next section. And in this section, a leper comes up to him, falls face down and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean Most people, most scholars think that this leprosy that this person was afflicted with, in fact, many people at the time was afflicted with was Hansen's disease. It's when you see a very specific way a skin starts to crumble and your eyes start to deteriorate. You can see it in their faces. In fact, the Old Testament laws were so strict that if you had leprosy, that you had to tear your clothes and then you had to yell Like, I'm a leper, unclean. You had to yell, unclean. And so you need to be separated from society. And so this was a leper. And if someone like that, that was leprous, who's obviously leprous, and knew that you can actually infect other people, and now in medical science we know that leprosy could be um, transmitted through, I I think it's like nose fluids, it's a respiratory thing. And so it could be transmitted that way. So the Old Testament laws were like that. You needed to separate them. Um, God didn't want the whole people dying of plague. And so they separated those that were sick because they didn't have a cure for it. What's amazing is now we do have a cure. And, um, you know, what, what was millions of people affected with leprosy, now we have, I think the current number is like 200,000 or something like that. And that's just amazing. That, I praise God for that. But this person who was leprous had no cure. And, you know, you can see the image. Like, I'm sure you've heard in the past. I don't want to really go into it. But it affects um, the extremities of your body, especially the nerve tips. And it destroys your cartilage. So that's why you would see. People always thought, like, if you're leprous, your fingers fall off. But it's because... All the cartilage disappears. Your finger starts going into itself. And it seems like you only have stubs for fingers. Your nose disappears. Your eyes become deteriorated. Your skin becomes like alligator-esque. And it's, it's a horrific disease to actually endure. It's terrible. And so they needed to be separated from society. And if someone like that comes up to you and you know that this person who is unclean can make you unclean, what would you do? What would you do if you knew someone had a contagious disease that can make you die or make you an outcast of society? What would you do? But this is what Jesus did. Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. But Jesus just doesn't do that. Jesus goes out of his way to touch the man. Now, we know Jesus. Jesus could have just said, be clean. All right, go show yourself to the priest. He could have just said that, but he goes out of his way to touch this leper and to say, you are clean. Now, go show yourself to the priest. So he goes out of his way to touch someone unclean when he is clean. So everything in history and science, we have diseases now that are incurable that we know if it's contagious, it will kill you. So there's this whole big scare and we have all these zombie movies coming up because we need to be able to relate to this fear somehow so everybody watches zombie movies. But we have these things and everything in history and science tells us this. If you are clean and you touch something unclean, what are you now? You are unclean. If you are a clean person, even hygienically, a clean person, and you touch something unclean, filled with bacteria, viruses, what happens? That bacteria virus transmits to you, and you become unclean. But here, Jesus, the first person in the world to ever do this, is making the statement, I am unclean, you are unclean, but if I touch you, you become clean. That is incredible. And when people saw this, they should have had their mind blown. I touch you. I, the clean one, touches you, will make you, the unclean, clean. And this is what happened. And this is what Jesus is showing us. Now, in this third part of the story, we see uh, a group of friends and a paralytic. This is also shown in Mark, but a group of friends and a paralytic come. And they couldn't get to Jesus because he was teaching. Like I said, that was his main thing, right? He was teaching. And they needed to get to him. We don't know exactly why. If it was to be healed or just to listen to Jesus, uh, that's not said. But it could have been both. I think people just assume he wanted to be healed. And I think, of course, you want to be healed. But maybe it could be he wanted to just hear Jesus. He wanted to hear what he was about. And I think that's great. And a lot of people come to church. I just want to hear what it's about, and I think that's great. But what happens once you meet Jesus is something that you would never expect. So they go up on the roof, and they lower him through the tiles. They lower the paralytic, and Jesus says, um, "Your faith. I see your faith. Your faith has made you clean. Your 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 sins are forgiven, and he's healed. That's amazing." What would take years, even if we had a solution, years of therapy after you become, uh, I guess, healed from paralysis. Like anybody who's even lied down on a bed for like a few months because of some, you know, something they had to go through surgery, perhaps. You go through muscle atrophy and you need to go through more, even more weeks of retraining your body, your muscles, because they're now in all atrophy. You haven't even moved it. Now, this is the amazing thing. Jesus goes to the paralytic. You're healed. Go. And then the person is able to just get up. Jesus is showing us that he can make you not just clean, but he makes you clean in an instant. It's immediate, it's fantastic. It's absolutely mind-blowing. It's astonishing. This is the Jesus who has this kind of authority who can do anything. This is the Jesus that is being shown in the Gospel of Luke. But when he says it, he says, I forgive your sins. And that was rough. That was rough. Because the Pharisees and the scribes, they were there listening, and he's like, Who is this guy? And literally you can see it in the Greek he's kinda of saying and some people try to some some of the translations try to capture that and saying who's this fellow? Right? Who's this man? Like, but it's really saying like who's this guy? Who's who's he think he is, right? And who is this who is this Jesus forgiving says, only God can do that. And these Pharisees and scribes, we need to understand that they were people for the people. They were there were Sadducees, there were Herodians, there were all these people that were politicians that were working for the government that ruled over the people. But these people, the Pharisees and the the scribes, they were actually working for the people. So they were like teachers, they were people that helped um, people get the law straight and so they can be right before God. So they were the kind of people that people thought helped them. And it's an amazing kind of contrast what the Bible starts drawing up. uh, So much so, in fact, that when a scribe, there were no schools, so that when you went to synagogue, that's when you had your teaching. When the scribe would open up the scroll and teach you about God's law. Um, And so when they would, when a scribe would walk into a room, this is how much respect they would have, everybody in the room would stand up. It's like a wedding day every day, and the bride, whenever the bride walks in, you always have to stand up, right? And so... This is, what, this is kind of the honor they had, but they knew what they were talking about. People respected them. And when they heard what Jesus said, they said, who's this guy? Who does he think he is? And Jesus says it so that he can show us that he can forgive you in an instant. The sin that's been bogging you down that's been taking and chipping away at your worth, showing you and trying to convince you, and I always say deceiving you, that you're worthless, that you don't have what it takes, that what, you, what you're doing does not matter. These things, this sin that is chipping away at your life, Jesus says, I can forgive you, and it becomes instantly healed that way. Jesus is showing us his authority powerfully, majestically, in all these three areas of our lives. And this is showing us, well the third part is showing us that, spiritually, we can't save ourselves. Um, And so we do need a savior, we do need Jesus. And that's why when you put these three stories together, it really is about where your standing is, where you are. And so where you're standing is with yourself, your family, right? Number two, where you're standing is within society. And number three, which may be the most important, where you're standing is with God. And you see, Jesus starts turning it around in every single area. Jesus does have authority over your work. He has authority over society. He has authority over your spirit. But what does that mean? It also means Jesus has authority over your failures. You didn't make it. You didn't make that promotion. You didn't get that paycheck you wanted. You didn't get to that place where you needed to go. But Jesus is saying, I have authority over your work. And I can turn that around instantly. But I have authority over that area in your life. Follow me. Jesus has authority over your physical and emotional pain. Who doesn't have that? When you come before Jesus and you ask Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean, help me, Jesus says, I am willing. If you come to me, I am willing to heal you. And finally, Jesus says, authority over sin. That thing that is keeping you down, that is showing you, that's trying to convince you that you have no worth, he is saying that is lie. And I am here to reverse that. He takes on our failures, Whenever we're having the worst day, he came and gave people the best day. He takes on our physical weaknesses and disease and even our need for community. The leper didn't have a community, but by touching him, he brings him back into community. And if you're paralyzed, both physically and spiritually, he comes to give us freedom. What does that mean to us? What do all these things mean? Well, it means that number one, trust him. Trust Jesus. Open your heart to him. Receive him now. You can trust him. D.L. Moody wrote this about trust. He says, trust in yourself, and you are doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends, and they will die and leave you. Trust in money, and you may have it taken from you. Trust in reputation, and some slanderous tongue may blast it. But trust in God, and you are never to be confounded in time or eternity. You can trust him. Number two, be patient. Jesus is not going to give up on you. Don't give up on Jesus. Continue to walk the path, and you will see Jesus working miracle after miracle in your life. What is a miracle? A miracle is something that shouldn't have happened but happened. And I had a clear example to me, and I wasn't—I I didn't tell him I was going to talk about him today, so I'm not going to say his name. But yesterday we were playing laser tag, and um, someone from the other team like destroyed our team on that third game. I thought I was doing really well because, you know, if I pride myself on one thing, it's I can do shooting stuff, right? I can play paintball, and I thought I could do it. I can imagine where people are hiding and shoot at the right time. And then this person just destroyed our team. And I didn't get it. Like, we're on our side, and once you get hit, your vest lights up, so you go to your respawn and then you press a button to, you know, get that light off so you can start playing again. And as soon as I hit it and I die again, I was like, what's going on? Is something wrong? And it was this guy, he was coming around to our base and he was in our base just killing us off again and again. I didn't get it. How can you do that? How come? And I, I think at one point I yelled. Why is he coming through into our base? Why is this happening, right? And I realized that he had come into our base, and when he died, he would respawn in our base. So basically, he was cheating. But he would come, and he would press the, when the respawn button would pre- be pressed, he would be there and respawn himself, even though he was supposed to respawn on his team. And he came, and I, was, and I felt like that's not the way it should be. It shouldn't work like that. But I realized, wow, that's awesome. I wish I thought of that. But I realized that's kind of how people saw miracles. It shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that way, but God makes it that way. It's almost as if God's cheating something, but he's not. But it's almost as if we think that it has to be this way. And we grow, grow up thinking it has to be this way. And Jesus turns the tables on us and says, you know what? I'm going to make it good. I'm going to make us win. And in fact, the other team won that round. But in an eternal sense, in the most grand scheme of things, when you are on Jesus' side, he is saying you are going to win. And that, to me, is absolutely amazing. That's the miracle that he is showing us. So be patient. And number three, finally, take your faith outside. The leper, when he had the faith, he went outside and told people. um, A lot of people think the chapter really starts at verse 4. The scholars think that because it shows us that Jesus told Peter. He sent Peter into the boat, sent them out. Jesus sent the leper. Jesus sent the paralytic. But Jesus, who is sent by God, sends us. So finally, take your faith outside. People think it starts from verse 4 because it's about missions. And he's saying that the word that's used is missio, where we get the word miss, missions. And the word that's, that really does mean that we need to take what we have outside. Serving others is draining, but at the same time, it's strengthening. Paradoxically, serving becomes fulfilling. And so the question I have for you as we end this portion of Luke, it's what is our mission as a church? Do you know it? What is your mission that God is sending you on? How is he sending you out? And in what ways? Where has God placed you? And where is he sending you to? This is something that you need to obey. You need to go out. You need to do it. When you see that happen, you see the fullness of not just Christ dwelling in you, but you see his joy come into your life too. And I really want that for you. I want this for church, this church. And that's why we're obeying as best we can. You know, even though we make mistakes sometimes, we just want to obey as best we can, pray through our convictions, and just, and just follow him. And so what is God doing in your life? What is the mission that he sent you on, you know? So let's take time to meditate on that right now. Let's pray. Lord, you send us out into the world, but you don't leave us to our own devices. You send us out into the world, and you go with us. You give us the strength that we need. You give us every single faculty, tool, piece of strength and you supply us with that help us to be like these people here that we saw help us to be people of faith so that we can trust you that we can be patient knowing that you are working in us and that we can be obedient to go out to do what you call us to do Lord God we know that you have authority all over this world and you have authority over us We pray, God, that you will be done in this place, in our lives. Let's just take time and a moment to reflect and offer up our obedience
0: and sacrifices to God. Let's pray.